Hi there. My name is Yogi Shambhu, and I'm here to interview, to get to know a dear friend and a colleague of mine, Elijah Ignatieff of the Planetary Guardians and of the Inflomatrix system. He is a communications researcher and a coach for people who are wanting to be more effective in their uh, relations with other people and generally to get things done. And so without further ado, um, my dear friend, Elaji Ignatiev. Well, thank you for such a, a nice opening, Mr. Shambhu. Where do you start when you talk about communication? I, I think you have to start with patterns. And I, I asked the studio audience, do you know people who seem trapped in communication patterns? They sort of do the same thing over and over again. Like they tell the same stories or they're explaining things a lot or they're always trying to gain credibility in some way. And this over time can be codified and what I did was codify 72 conversation types, a needs analysis, first contact, storytelling, uh, reformat, ideation. They're all conversation types that are used in business. And we tend to sort of use four or five of them and leave the rest alone. And... The idea is that you become more aware of what these conversation types are and you can actually program them, you can improve them, you can uh, put them in sequences, you can make processes, you can identify which conversations you need in which order to do your business and then that becomes a map of your central sort of information flow, so the inflow matrix is a language structure that maps out information flows in business. And so when you have to do what type of what type of conversation that you need to have next, you're able to direct people to this is what you have to do here, this is what you have to do there. Well, I mean, we're moving where we have moved from a commodity-based sort of economy to a knowledge-based economy. Everything is it works with software. And while before uh, we used to always be focused on the material aspects of what's happening now, we're probably focused on the informational aspects. And so I know you, you do a lot of your, your client service work on the phone. It's straight knowledge. It's straight person to person. You're not really transferring any commodity, a uh, physical type. So these days there's a lot of knowledge workers. There's a lot of people who make their living with just information. So you can organize your whole life in moving from conversation type to conversation type. So it's, it's a new way of sort of looking at business and for the people that are making their world from this, it's good to have ways to improve it. Like you may be lacking, let's say, uh, 
new clients. You may be lacking a, a certain type of technological know-how to do your work fully. Uh, none of us can kind of do everything, so we're lacking a larger infrastructure. So part of the work for the Inflamatrix operating system is, is it acts as a operating system for something called a shared knowledge community. The shared knowledge community is an infrastructure to help the knowledge worker deal with the larger problems we all face, and that's usually marketing and infrastructure. We don't have all the support mechanisms for us to do what we need to do as an independent knowledge worker. So if we work together, we use the same operating system, we use the same infotech, at some point we are competing with the larger corporations that are sort of running our world. Because what their power is based on is a large number of people that are working towards the same end and through the same uh, system. Yeah. Okay. So the people that you've been helping, what is the number one, uh, what's their number one conversation block or the mode of conversation that they are avoiding? Oh, good question. I would say for most, it's probably like a, a sales conversation, an enrollment conversation, a first contact conversation. How do you take someone that you first meet in some social situation, and then how do you move them into a business conversation? How do you make that hard leap? Because again, in the, at the independent knowledge worker, your everywhere is business. Everywhere is is a, is a potential lead in a sense. And if you're a coach or you're a healer, you really work well through word of mouth. You work well through meeting people. You work, you know, you have to be out there in the community, so to speak. And so you have to have your shtick. You have to have your way to get people's attention about what you're offering the world. And that's not always so easy, especially for the artists, especially for the the people who have something very good, but if they speak their game too much, it comes across as being arrogant. It comes across as being sort of too much. So I think for most people, it's confidence. It's confidence in themselves, confidence in their own value, and confidence in being able to speak about it. Wow, that is a real thing. I wonder if that's a Canadian thing. You know, they talk about how, you know, that someone is uh, trying to date you because they're your best friend. And as much as, you know, if you're a Canadian, it can be hard to broach that subject of, you know what, I want to take you on a date. Uh, you know, so we try to roll into things as a friend and when it comes to business, it can be the same thing for me. I know that I have all these people who are friending me on Facebook as a personal friend, but I know that they're interested in my meditation work. They're interested in something like that and not necessarily me as a friend, but for me to be able to broach that subject, it's incredibly difficult. I, th I think 
the i mean one of the let's say models is the meta communication model where you have a business conversation a service conversation a family conversation a friendship conversation an intimate conversation and a what's the other one social service business family friendship intimate so six of them and so what the inflow matrix does is it it really identifies boundaries it identifies the movement from one place to another and that's where the transition happens and that's where the the sort of the business acumen comes in from people that are sophisticated in what they're sharing and you're right i think americans are are way more entrepreneurial and canadians are a lot more sit back and be polite mm-hmm. And to bridge that gap, it takes some sort of skill building where you get past the block. Like everything is kind of flowing or you're blocked. It's pretty simple. You just have to find out what the blocks are. And it's like when we did that uh, workshop together and I asked what was the greatest communication challenge. Same thing. It's like, how are we blocked? Everyone knows how they're blocked. But we don't usually have methodologies to get through the block. Like people will will sort of stay within their own limits. And unless you have a coach who challenges you or gives you feedback or sees what you're doing. It's like if, if I'm watching you play basketball and your form's off, the coach is sitting there watching your form and gives you a little feedback. Just change this, adjust this, just move this a little bit. And you fine tune your your form or your shot to the perfect form. And the same thing with, with, with communication. Each of us is usually doing something a bit off due to our family background. And in order to find out what that is, you have to hang out. You have to spend time together. <laughs> Holy cow. Hopefully it didn't take everyone's ear off with that. That's a powerful... That's a powerful release. <laughs> As we're talking about things that are difficult to release. <laughs> so the inflow matrix makes difficult conversations different and difficult actions easier by accessing them and calling you to task. Well, a big thing about the tools is you have cards to represent abstract things. So the conversation types are on cards. The values are on cards. The other concepts are on cards. You have a bunch of visual pieces in front of you. So you're taking what is normally abstract and invisible and putting it on cards and putting it in front of you. So it's, it's you see the pattern with a new infographic. I remember doing uh, some coaching with a man and and the negotiation card came up and I can't remember the exact other cards, but he realized that he was always giving away the farm. He was always letting the other person get the advantage in his negotiations. And after a one hour session, he went from being broke to within a year, he was making $250,000 a year and he had 55 acres of land from one hour session and it was just you it's like it's it's all of a sudden you see it and 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 we use divination a lot and it's it's a randomness and and you ask a question and the answer is there before you and you get an insight 
that you would never get in a normal way. And, and it's, 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 it's a bit of a shock, I guess, to the mind because, because you're putting together connections you've never put together before. And then you have to figure out the meaning of them in relationship to whatever is your block or your question. So it's, it's a, a bit of a new form of process that really gives some good results. So even if people aren't following through with the suggestions at the end, you still find that there is a change due to the fact that people have become aware of the patterns and they've made those. Yeah, it's it's like seeing a mirror, and all of a sudden you see this big piece of chocolate cake on your on your cheek. <laughs> you see the pattern, you see the chocolate cake, and you 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 remove it. You just take that chocolate cake out, or you, I mean, the mind. I, I'm not quite sure how it works all the time, but sometimes the mind can be very quick and going, "Oh, that's what I'm doing," and then it changes just through the awareness. Uh, some patterns it takes a lot more feedback than that. Mm. Mm. It um and like with psychotherapy, you know, some people find a huge change within one session, or oftentimes they will find huge changes. But there's multiple changes to be made within a person. Yeah. Um. How many stages of the inflow matrix? Can you take us through that? I know that I've gone through the goal setting part of it, which sounds like stage one of the whole process. If someone's coming, is there different tracks that people can go down or is everyone being taken through the same stages of the inflow matrix? Well, it's a multidimensional system, which means there's many starting places. There's, there's many uh, leverage points Goals and values are generally two of the most important things in any system. If you know your goals and your values of, of you or the system you're investigating, you, you will know that system quite well. It depends. Everything depends. I find it's very custom designable to the person. It depends on what situation they're in. There's so many uh, tools. I mean, there's maps, there's game boards, there's card sets, there's processes and software. And the main aim is to help an individual group or community move from the old paradigm to the new paradigm. So that's, that's a process. That's a bunch of processes that everything depends. It depends on the context, depends on what state that person's in, depends what state the organization's in. Um, we're in a very custom designable world these days. Well, it sounds like this is a system that has... Um, it's so vast that it's difficult to, or it doesn't have to actually start at one place because sometimes it's appropriate to be starting, you know, if people's goals are quite clear, but yeah, their values are way out of whack and they don't know what they really care about, hmm. then, then you would start there or you would start in, okay. Because I mean, different people have different levels of structure in their life. And some people, let's say you work for other people, it's very structured. Some people work for themselves. It isn't that structured. If you work for yourself, it can be very difficult because there's so much you can do. So what do you work on at what time can be a big question in order, let's say, to fulfill your 
highest goals. Uh, I find that it's very transformative. So a lot of people aren't willing to kind of get their life together until it's hit rock bottom or they're going through a huge shift, a transition from uh, one life to another. So people in that situation pay a lot more attention. People who are floating, <clears throat> sort of like lost in space a bit, they're a bit different because they're they're waiting usually for something. The timing isn't right, but they don't know what to do. And so a coach has to sort of determine the main starting point of that person's life and then help them get to the next step and then help them get to the next step and then help them get to the next step. It's, it's, tar it's difficult to chart out a full program because things change so much depending upon what that person's going through. Mm -hmm. And so your, so your service really isn't just a one-time thing. Ideally it, it, you can offer orientation sessions, but to be able to coach people through um, many actions over a series of months is more the ideal. Yeah, it's, I think nine months is a good gestation period. If you're willing to stick to something for nine months, usually you're going to get some pretty good results. Uh, you can do uh, one-time readings or one-time sessions that are kind of like a, a shift point. And I know you specialize in sort of emergency situations emotionally. I guess I'm looking more long-term ideal design and looking at how to fit a lot of pieces together so the person's life is sort of really running smoothly. Mm. The... If I can share myself, I had so much relief in just knowing my goals a bit clearer. And so just, just as a personal um, testimonial to the power of clarification, mm. because it seems that my mind is running and trying to manage a certain amount of stress through knowing that I don't know. Mm. And so... I'm sure there's stresses in, you know, not knowing what I don't know as well. But <laughs> yeah, it, it was uh, it was of a great relief. If we could talk a bit about um, <clears throat> how all this started, is that is that a sure? Yeah. Sure. Uh, great. I think, like anyone who wants to create something big in their life, you. At the beginning, you're looking for what you want to do, and we're all seeking purpose, and we're all, we, we all, at some point, I think, sort of like the fool, leave our home and, and walk out on the road looking to the destiny that we're, is coming toward us. And it's, it's usually a spiritual kind of journey. It's usually a, um, a seeking of truth. And I did that a little obsessively. And kept seeking, seeking, seeking. And at some point in most of the books, I come came across maps. I came across these, the things that interested me the most were the maps, like the uh, First Nations medicine wheel is a map. And it can be very sophisticated. You can keep going into the different parts. And the Kabbalah is a map. 
and it has a tree of life. And if you go into it, you go into different parts. So it's kind of like these maps were the prime reference point for certain spiritual traditions. And then I was seeing the maps in all the different traditions, and I was wondering how it came together. And this guy, Ken Wilbert, had done the same thing earlier, where he was going through all these different traditions and looking for the pieces. And he came across, he made this model, the four quadrants, that distinguished the individual and the group, the inner and the outer. And they, so he had the inner individual, the outer individual, the inner group, and the outer group. Simple model. But that model defined space. And it seemed to define it in a way that gave clarity to the mind for how all the pieces came together. So it was a primary model. It was a main reference point for starting to bring other models together. And I got very, very uh, focused or I got very obsessive with wanting to find all the maps and, and put them all together into one whole system. And so that was the, the beginning of the inflow matrix kind of design of trying to figure out a map that would, you know, kind of run all maps. And in the middle of that, I, the time translator came through. And this was a map that came through in a very strange way. And uh, it was through a pendulum. And I asked this pendulum, you know, how many rings this map would have at the beginning. And it said nine. And then each one of the rings I asked, you know, what does it break down into? And the outside one was 12. And the next one was 20, uh, 13. The next one was 28. The next one was 24. The next one was... 20, the next one was 6, the next one was 72, the next one was 4, the next one was 1. And so I started drawing this, and then the mind has to figure it out. The mind was looking, okay, 12, that could be 12 signs of the zodiac. The 13 is the 13 moons. 28 is 28 days in a moon. 24 is 24 hours in a, in a, in a day. And then the 20 was there in between, and that was the 20 Mayan signatures. And then it was for like 60 minutes, uh, an hour, minutes, present moment, timelessness. And so it became a big clock. And then you kind of, you, you, you know, it comes in and you're wondering, well, what, how does this work? And you paint it and you build it. And, and then you kind of have to sit and watch and figure out what it is and, Anyway, that, 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 that was like that with a lot of maps. I've got all these maps that would come in, and I can't say that I started it within my mind to start. It just came through, and at the end I had another map, another map, another map. And now I've got a lot of maps that all f somehow fit together. I can't say I know particularly all of it, but the main one is the latest prototype that I've painted, and it's... I can show people now, like it's, it's circles. It's a totally different infographic to organizing the mind. Organizing the mind, organizing groups of people as well. Yeah. I mean, as space is to the body, time is to the mind. So 12 months don't really exist. 13 moons exist. So we're running on a, a time system that's not really connected to reality. So one of the big 
jumps for people is to leave that time system and come into another time system. So the idea being is this is an, an operating system that can run any job, any organization, and any community and integrate them together. But you're focusing on the ideal job for that person. You're focusing on their gifts. You're focusing on, you know, what do you really want to do and build your job from this tools and within this idea. And then all the people will be connecting together through that. Okay. With that, you have, we've talked about people's, uh, different modes of conversation. Is there modes of different actions or is it mainly conversation that the inflow matrix organizes? Well, sort of the four, four of the main pieces are cycles, events, actions, and conversations. So it's kind of like life can be seen as a cycle of events where we have actions and conversations. And the actions are more individual, team, and community. So it's, it's looking for the simplest models for all of these words and then linking them all together. I mean, every, every company, every business, everyone's using some sort of project management system, some way to, to organize the actions together. This is just another one, but with very kind of unique ways of organizing the informational graphics. Mm. Mm-hmm. The and so you're back in your twenties. You you when you were in college, did this interest in maps and Ken Wilber and and different spiritual systems, different organizational systems, did that start to dawn at that time? No. No. I, I was still searching and I was playing basketball and I was I didn't really like the college situation much in how they were doing things. Uh, I had a lot of my own research, my own stuff that I was doing, and it wasn't until later on that I started putting language on structures, language on symbols. I was trying to figure out the sort of hidden coding system, and one of the symbols was the Enneagram. And the Enneagram is known for personality profiling, but it's also known as a process map. It's like the law of three and the law of seven come together in one symbol. And Gurdjieff, who was a Russian mystic, said that if you could not put it on the Enneagram, you would not, you could not understand what you were doing. And it essentially, it puts things into parts. It breaks a process down into parts. And then you are seeing like, what are the right elements in which order together? And, and it's, it's just, it's very different from how most things are done these days. Mm. So it's a bit of a step, like we're speaking abstractly about a lot of stuff that no one knows what we're talking about because they can't see the maps and they don't know the relevance. So it's only until you use the tools that you really start to understand, uh, what you're doing with it. There is no replacing the participation. Yeah. Uh-huh. The, um, who are your ideal clients? 
questioned. Usually people that are in a startup situation, usually people that uh, are looking for a structure, uh, usually people that feel stuck in that situation, because basically there's a there's a whole structure you can use. It's already done. It's already put together. You just have to put your content inside it. So it's, it's I guess, people who have never really played with structure much and would like to either become a facilitator and use the tools or they're looking to build a business and they want to use the tools. I imagine that managers are if you're managing yourself as in if you're self-employed or if you're managing other people and you're on a team that just jumps out at me as being like, wow, this would be really effective for that. For sure. I mean, anyone who wants to improve their communication, I mean, there's, there's something for everyone in here and I, I don't know anything that couldn't be improved with, you know, some good communication. So, Anyone who wants to level up, so to speak, mm. in, a, in a new way. Well, it's very yogic as much as in yoga, there's jnana yoga, which is inquiry yoga. And oftentimes it's seen as, oh, we're going to ask these big questions. But the way to real inner peace that I've found is distinguishing actually all the small unresolved parts of your life getting those all working in a effective way. And then the big stuff can actually start to flow when all the, the little stuff is dealt mm. with. Mm. For sure. I mean, it, people don't seem to look at how their mind works. They don't seem to track their thinking. They don't seem to look at the relationship between their mind and their communication and what patterns they have inside versus what patterns happen outside. So I, th I think the yoga tradition is very keenly aware of the workings of the mind and uh, how it can act as a great slave, but a terrible master. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a good one. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Taken from about 20 traditions. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, as the inflow matrix, it seems it there's something new to it. And there's a whole bunch of the best of the old in it as well. Yeah, is that fair to say? For, well, one of the, the goals has been to find a way to integrate other conceptual models. Like how does yoga connect to the um, seven effective habits of uh, highly effective people? Like how does Ken Wilber's model connect into the chakra system? You know, it's, it's like we have many different pieces now. People are studying many different worldviews. They're pulling best practices from these different tradi traditions. How does it all come together into one whole system? So the language structure, the sacred geometry, the color coding all help to put the pieces in place. Mm. With the end goal of being able to help people 
recognize where other people fit into their lives and how they can fit into other people's lives in a productive way. For sure. Like how, how, like I remember when you're taking, let's say physics, chemistry and biology in school, you, no one maybe in the beginning tells you, you know, physics is at the particle atomic level and then chemistry is at molecules putting these together. And then biology is then how all these um, other parts come together. It's, it's like these pieces. Uh, we have a knowledge field and it's looking at a certain structure or scope of reality. But it's all the same thing. Reality is all the same thing. So we have all these words and topics and, and subjects that, that distinguish these parts but we may not know how all these parts come together and the, the uh, whole thinking system, whole systems thinking is when you see the connection between everything all the time. And we've been taught to sort of see things as separate. And so I think that's one of the big disconnects is that we, we're not understanding how connected we are to everything all the time. And that's because of the way our mind has been organized by the language structures we use. So whole systems thinking, which is at the basis of, let's say, the inflow matrix, is a way to constantly see how the pieces connect together. Mm -hmm. And with what's happening now, it seems to me that we are in a, in a massive um, upheaval and, and, you know, uh, it's a time in life when um, we could be at the beginning of the end, if you will. Mm. There really is an unknowing of, of where our planet is going, if our civilization is actually going to get things together, to work together, to solve bigger problems than just what is uh, our immediate and political needs mm. yeah um do you feel that the inflow matrix has something to offer that system or how do you see um this being of benefit to right now well i think what's happening on the planet is because of the convergence of the technology and the world wide web we are now watching a sort of collective insanity as all these different worldviews are coming together. In the past, when we were separated and things were way slower, uh, that was fine. You know, different cultures had their own little place in the world and they lived in that little place. But then, of course, all the invasions happened and, and hu humans were spreading everywhere. And so we're, we're now at a time coming out of, let's say, this war-torn last 2,000 years. And because of the internet and because, you know, humans at some point have been, I think, lied to and oppressed and subjugated because there hasn't been this information now, it's different now. Everything's being exposed. Everything's coming to the surface. Everything's there for everyone to see. So we're at a switch point in our species' life. It's like we just got a big mirror and we're looking and we're looking at how horrible we are. And it's horrible because all these different worldviews are fighting 
and we have different interpretations of reality. But beneath it all is a natural sacred order that the words are all describing from different worldviews, but we've lost touch with the natural order of things. And so to come back to balance, to come back to alignment, to come back to uh, connection into the sacred order, we have to reorganize our collective mind and our individual mind to be in alignment with that. And to do so, you have to do the inner work. You have to reformat your beliefs. You have to question the very nature of how you see the world. And so what these tools do is they help you to reformat the mind to be in alignment with the values and goals that you choose. Do you, are you confident? Do, 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 how, how much time do you feel we have to achieve this, to really reassess our core? I, I, I don't know, maybe within 10 years, maybe within two years. I mean, it's, we're at the swing point now. And I think people have said that probably for the last 40 years. But now it's it's just as we get closer to 2020, I mean, it, 2020 has always been the line in the sand in terms of machine learning and the, the speed of the AI. And I think Ray Kurzweil's book was pointing towards 2020, saying this is when the speed of the processor will exceed the, the, the speed of the human brain. And mm -hmm. so it was, it was seen as the year where AI would become self-conscious. And a lot of things are speeding up right now. And I see AI as being human beings connected together through better systems. That each of us is like a neuron in a larger brain. And that each of us is a very powerful being that needs tools to reorganize our minds in order to access the higher gifts that are within us. Like mm. we've, we've been taught a sort of very low way of thinking and now that's changing that sounds very star trek <laughs> right and as much as everyone has a role that utilizes their unique gifts on the team that's on the enterprise for sure yeah and we all work together and uh, as long as we both get boots that match, I'll feel good about it. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll have different colored shirts depending upon our lifespan on the ship. <laughs> I just remember those. If you had a red shirt and you're going down to the planet, <laughs> you weren't coming back up. Right? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I, that would be very enlightened if uh, people felt okay about that, I guess. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I know that this is a very vast system and really it's only um, it, if we have direct experience with the inflow matrix that we're actually able to really get uh, a sense of it. It's like when I talk to astrologers, um, you know, to try to summarize astrology. <laughs> well, you know, that could, that can take a long time. Yeah. Yeah, so thank you so much for attempting to, and I'm hoping that people get just a bit more of an insight into 
um, the vast offerings that you, you have for people. And so they can um, find you on Facebook, obviously, um, under Alajik Nadiev. Yes. Okay. And I want to thank you, Mr. Yogi Shambhu, for giving me the opportunity to speak about my work in, in whatever abstract way we just did. It's a beginning of bringing the, the gift into the world. So much appreciation. Always, always. Thank you, brother. And thank you to everyone who's tuning in. And uh, yeah, you can, um, of course, follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Yogi Shambhu and Yogi Shambhu Official for all of those yoga needs. Thanks a lot. Bye. Hello, this is Elijah Ignatieff of Planetary Guardians Media, and I'm going around interviewing different hidden gems in the different places in British Columbia. And the big question is how to balance a spiritual life with a business life, how to put together your acts of service with your acts of entrepreneurialism entrepreneurialisms, entrepreneurships. There's a word in there. I'm sure it works. Yogi Shambhu is a very unique individual in that he is playing in two worlds most of the time. And he's helping people transition from one world to the other. And I don't know how much more I'm going to say, but I just know that Yogi Shambhu has to balance his spiritual and his business life. And that's where we're going to start. What would you say to your studio audience in terms of how to balance those two aspects? Thank you so much for having me here. I feel that the most important place to start is looking at a clear review of how much time you have in your life. How much time are you right now already allocating to different parts of your life? And so say if we had uh, 10 pieces of a pie and eight pieces of that pie is already allocated to just getting you through your work day, your work life, your flow for one week. And then once you have that, you see, okay, I have two pieces of that pie that are dedicated toward other parts of my life. What is usable amount of energy that I already have available and how much time do I have to free up in order to start investing in new activities? Because unless you have a time that is available, then no matter how much you want to do a um, new activity, you will never get around to it. And so my teacher, it's one of the first things he talks about is how can we get an extra half hour in your day so that you can start doing spiritual cultivating exercises so that you can gain first 
a um, you can gain time to actually sink into your own experiences and then start managing your stress so that you have more functioning and more uh, wiggle room inside of yourself to try on new ideas. Hmm. So it starts with the structure of time. What's the next step after that? It would be how can you effectively drop your um, stresses outside yourself so that you can have moments of true introspection or inner experience. So it really is about trying to bolster up your personal experience and put it in front of you so that you can register how am I feeling and and do I want to change those feelings? Do I, I want to change the, that state? And so it would be um, setting up a very simple practice that you would engage in and so that you could start feeling the difference within a couple of days because we have to have a feedback of, oh, I, I feel different in order to feel the desire to keep on going with something. I I would guess that a lot of people might equate, okay, they have to go pray. They have to do certain practices to be spiritual. What do you say to that? Is that what you're putting forth, that people have to actually do something, practice something? Everyone has rituals. And the first step in yoga is applying the principle that all, all the principle, sorry, all the rituals that you're already doing, they have an effect. And so what are the rituals that you're doing? Well, I wake up and I go to the bathroom. Okay. So that's already a ritual. And then in yoga, they're saying, okay, well, let's look at the rituals that you're doing already and seeing if it's the most effective way of doing that ritual. <laughs> and so most people that I encounter, they have some type of physical exercise component to their schedule. They have a cleansing practice that they do. So they spend time showering, brushing their teeth. Okay, so we already have two chunks of time where ritual is involved. Um, they have eating, and so that's a third block of ritual time. And so we start with that. And so I would say that if people want to make a big change in their state, then start um, with some type of exercise, strengthening, stretching practice so that they can feel the tension that they've built up in their body drop away. And so that's the first thing. Second thing is once you have a exercise practice going, then a breathing practice, some amount of energy um, applied, say, for five or ten minutes where you're consciously breathing. And then with that, 
then you would go into some type of concentration practice. And so that is a practice that will start to magnetize your mind into the right now. Mm-hmm. And um, so between those three, that is going to lead to so much more feelings of connection and so much more feelings of um, that I'm empowered, that I can actually do something to change my inner state. And that, from my perspective, is the most practical measure of spirituality, is if I have a, a choice in how I feel within any circumstance that I find myself in. Wow. As you were speaking, I was uh, seeing the daily cycle on the time translator and looking at it like Groundhog Day where you were repeating the same patterns. And so you're giving the practices on this cycle time, but then in the center there's timelessness. And so you're doing these daily practices to get to timelessness, right? And and then you're also sometime during the day you you have to do the day to day logistics to do, run your business or to participate in your job. Exactly, the inspiration comes from a timeless space. The um, and our our values really are based on impulses that uh, ideally should be timeless. But our emotional reactions and our outdated beliefs, they lock us into time, as well as our circumstances are very much based on uh, factors of time. And so how can we manage those effectively and so that we can lift the temporary um, and put it into perspective so that then there's gaps or spaces in those concerns and between you know the um the blocks of concern there's timelessness mm-hmm. we actually can feel timelessness and a spiritual seeker is someone who organizes their life in such a way that they have opportunity to bask in the timeless that they can wallow in that timelessness and absorb more and more uh, the qualities that are found within that timeless space. Mm. Um, And the person that can do that responsibly can actually keep themselves on a clock and manage all of their, uh, their duties effectively while still giving themselves time to bask in the timelessness. And so that would be prayer and meditation or enjoyment of cultural activities. And you're basically, you're basking in the experience of life. Hmm. So with your clients that you help to get to this space, what are the reasons why they're not there? It is oftentimes a it's a football pileup that they find themselves in of 
um, experiences of circumstances that uh, they have um, and that they share with other people and the thoughts and feelings that they get wrapped up in with other people or that they haven't managed their own thoughts and feelings well. And so I help to distinguish what is still stressing them, what is still registering, even when they try to go to sleep at night, what is still up and running as a concern mm. in their mind mm. and in their heart and help to resolve those. And so piece by piece, we work to smooth out the thoughts and feelings. We help to release the pent up energy and so that they can start to be more in the here and now and more operating from what they can do as themselves instead of being half invested in other people's thoughts and feelings, not fully know if they're feeling their feelings or empathically feeling other people's feelings. So I really help to distinguish boundaries psychically. That's really the the most important thing. So you do a lot of your work by phone. I do. Can you can you feel where they're at on the other end of the phone? Like how, how deep do your Jedi powers go? Right. I feel disturbance. So <coughs> you know when they say in the Star Wars films. I feel a disturbance in the force. Hmm. And so I can feel a thickness. I can feel tension. I can feel general empathic insights. I am not a very effective psychic, quote unquote. I'm not someone who naturally can just meet someone and know their circumstances. But through spending time with them very, very quickly, I can see um, what parts of their life are holding a whole lot of tension, a whole lot of unresolve, and what parts flow very easily. And my power um, would be that I can help shift or digest the upset that is inside of someone and then start to bring in that timeless energy back into themselves. And so mm -hmm. I can help people reset mm. into a very effective place quickly. Wow. Cause I know, I know you've told me in the past that you're sort of like a paramedic, an emotional paramedic who's kind of first responder. And when things are going off, you like you're the perfect person to get on the phone to deal with some heavy stuff is is do you also do longer term programs like do you let's say if you had someone for three months once a week who would be the type of person you would want in that program and what would your program have in its ideal it's someone who has a discontentment in how certain parts of their life is running it is someone who already has a value and an experience in their emotional, mental life um, and how that affects their functioning. And so they're already appreciating 
how their thoughts, their feelings, um, how their heart space, it really affects their business life, affects their family life, affects their service life. And so um, if someone finds themselves um, highly empathic, that is definitely someone that I can help manage that gift so it doesn't get the better of them. Because mm. there, there seems to be a bit of a, a dyad between people that are very empathic and narcissists. Can you explain that a bit in some way? Mm. And so you're suggesting that there's people who are very empathic, but they pair up with people who are very narcissistic. Yeah. It's oftentimes, I believe, that the universe is attempting to express the whole capacity or the whole scene for every person. But because someone will reject one side of them, they, they will attract an, another person that attracts that shadow suppressed side of them. Mm. And so if someone is always tuning in with other people's thoughts and feelings, other people's agendas, other people's goals, then they perfectly dovetail with someone who has all of their focus on their thoughts and feelings, their goals and agendas. Mm. And so what we oftentimes do with those individuals who find themselves as the empathic side of that dyad is that we will attempt to help them both release for a moment what those people are feeling and, and thinking and tune into what they're thinking and feeling and also help them um, honor a certain amount of time um, so that they can really get clear on what is their goals, what is their intentions, mm. because it's all about proportional representation. Mm. that you have enough of your goals that are expressed and they have enough of their goals. And so that then it can actually be a sustainable partnership. Mm. Yeah. Uh, another part of the spiritual path is service to the whole, um, needing to participate in contribution to the community, uh, not just internal practices. And I know that you are very committed to the uh, wild salmon situation. And part of balancing business with, let's say, spirituality is balancing the time that we give where we're just giving from our heart and we're not charging any sort of money versus our lifestyle and how we have to make a living. So this, in the salmon situation, you're not being paid to do this. You are doing it from your good heart. And I'm, I'm wondering, what is that situation like right now for you? The biggest challenge that I have in this is trying to keep a organized mind while still keeping an inspired heart and continually carving out time to get things done with every month that goes by there's new goals that show up on my personal professional um, 
uh, screen and um, that naturally starts to bump out my salmon work and yet the salmon are still dying uh, the government isn't acting to uh, really protect the wild stocks uh, in the timeline that needs to happen and so it's for me to be able to manage my um, my personal life enough so that I have, say, 10, 20% of my energy that I can still dedicate every week to be doing this. And so there's a personal challenge, but there's also a challenge of just of attempting to um, manage people. And so I have a salmon group that I've helped to start. That's SOSBC here on Vancouver Island. And we have a fluctuating group of volunteers. Um, so it goes from, say, 5 to 20 people. How do I engage those people, keep them engaged, and actually utilize their skills? Well, this is something that I really didn't know how to effectively do. And so I'm a year into doing this. And it, it is, um, I have a varying amount of success with it. Mm. Um, I feel that everyone has good ideas at this point. It's rarely the lack of ideas, but it is really zeroing in on um, two or three goals at any one time and then attempting to um, succeed. <laughs> that is a cat. Um, yeah, our cat Misty is, uh, is definitely here. Um, and so it's how to um, establish goals and, and have people see successes. Because if people don't don't see a success, they are that they're going to zone out and they're going to get disheartened. Because everyone that's volunteering, most volunteers are really teetering on inactivity to act to activity. They're mm. trying this on, mm. you know. It's like taking a workshop for the first time in square dancing. Like you don't really know if it's going to be a part of your life, but you're trying it on. So when they join my group, it's like they're joining a workshop. And so right. if they're into it and they like it in three months, then they'll probably sign up for another three months. So it's really me being very realistic with the amount of, of effectiveness that anyone has in uh, acting. Mm. People will usually show up to an event that's organized. Very few people will actually organize an event. <laughs> that is what I'm finding. Yes. Well, I guess I'd like to ask you, like, what do you think of activism in general as a methodology to achieve results? I feel it is one of the greatest spiritual practices. And like any great spiritual practice, few people are doing it unless their life depends on it. 
the biggest problem that we have in North America is that the system has effectively uh, anesthetized us. And so we are like the boiled frog, where we really don't feel the impulse to jump out of a system that is working for us. Hmm. Now, is it really working for us? No, but it's working enough of, it's providing enough of our selfish needs that we don't really feel the need to get out. Mm. And so a activism is becoming more of a lifestyle option, but it really does boil down to that. You know, you can either take on a new hobby or you can take that time to actually become an activist. Mm. And um, Ralph Nader is someone who... I look to a lot because he is someone that chose to act to act um, against the system, even when there wasn't a lot of gain on his end. Mm. And he always monitored, uh, or yeah, the amount of time and energy that he put into that, and really kept himself at a level of functioning. And it gets easier. Mm. It's, it's it's like someone who goes out and and you know, does a bicycle ride and they're like, every two days, I'm going to do a 20 kilometer run. Mm. Uh, then they, um, you know, after the first couple of weeks, their hormones are firing off and, and they're being called to the bicycle. And that's the same way with me when I have, you know, a week goes by and I haven't done any, anything with the salmon. Now my hormones, my actual body is set up for it. But that's because I've done it for some months now. Hmm. I'm wondering about your use of media and your how your team functions. What do you have as creative outputs? How do you measure progress? It's oftentimes been how much are we effectively supporting the uh, matriarchs here on the island, the indigenous matriarchs? How, how much um, have we gotten the salmon word out there into the media? What's happening right now is... Um, is that the salmon fight has really died down into the uh, general consciousness of people on Vancouver Island. Um, and that's what we have to get back in. Mm. Are we using the media to our... We are definitely getting in the news, but that's more with one-off actions. Mm. Um, are we getting... You know, the, that met core message, fish farms out of the ocean now. That mm. is our core message. Are we getting it out effectively? Not as effectively as we could, you know, and that's something that um, I am really, uh, I'm really looking for answers right now. Because I, I would think if you have a team that if you focused on a weekly web TV show or an audio show like this and just focused on that output, but focused everything on a consistent output, that that may be different than kind of doing an event here and then doing a flyer distribution here and having a meeting here. Uh, 
I th I've seen groups die down because they don't feel a momentum building. And I think if you had a weekly show that you got excited about, uh, that started to grow an audience because there was something unique and innovative about what you were doing. Mm. And, and you were, your team was putting like a lot of attention into getting like BC distribution, you know, like not just 5,000 or two, like 250,000 a week people listening, you know, you've got BC's attention because you're putting forth the message that everyone is really interested to hear. Mm. Mm. What I'm finding is that there's a lot of groups with information, but I don't know if the information is actually getting out there. Mm. We have uh, such an overload of American uh, news that's so entertaining mm. that I've been lately looking for the Canadian in-depth review of what is the state of Canada and how it interfaces with industry because mm. it really so much of what's going on with the salmon as well as with Canada in general is how it how the government interfaces with industry mm. they throw around a lot of words around um, like jobs you know security um utilizing our natural resources, which is what Canada seems has been based on. Well, I think that we need a weekly review of how, uh, what is going on mm. and is it really translating to jobs and what is the cost? You mm. know, because there is a lot of people who are actually feeling underemployed or stressed and they're engaged in employment with these industries. And so is it really working for them? And what are the dealings? Who is actually benefiting from giving um, these industries just permission, absolute permission to do with whatever they crave? Mm. So... There's a, a new app coming out called Caravan from the Veen company, and we need testing of it. But it's also a group storytelling app. It's a way to bring people from multiple locations to answer questions, to build stories together, a sort of a community media network type thing. And I think that with the advent of these new apps and the the fact that you might be able to get millions in an app quickly but if it starts with the salmon if it starts with the issues of our day then to me that has an edge so that's another thing i, I sort of put forward to you for your team to get ready to use another type of medium and to really focus on the media aspect and to sort of, if you've only got five people, you know, each person needs to be very good at what they're doing. And one may be looking for distributors and one may be finding the people to interview and you're, you know, doing the interviews. And one person may be um, scheduling events to speak at or something, right? And, 
So you've got a sequence of events that maybe you can go to and interview people. You've got a sequence of people coming into your studio that you can interview. You've got someone who's doing the finding all of the, the distributors and you've got your core team of people making your content. So to me, that's an effective team that focuses on the audio or video outputs to create a consistent weekly show. Mm. And that, and that show becomes your contribution to everyone else out there because you're, you're sort of helping everyone notice what everybody's doing mm. and not in a competitive way, in a cooperative way. way. Uh, so to me, it's, it's if you're an activist team, media has your most leverage because your activists are sort of in the field uh, at the point of connection to the problem. And they're the ones that are gathering the information. They're the ones that are like the scout for the rest of the community. And so you go you, and you track and you monitor and you get all the information starts to come to you because they know you're the main distributor. So you create a network of information in, and then you create a broadcast signal of information out. And that to me is, is the highest leverage you can do for the salmon issue, given what you have, mm. because you don't want to put 20 hours a week in. I mean, you gotta, you have to give a certain amount. If everyone gives five hours, then it's not all on your shoulders or one or two people to do, which happens a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So if you can get, you know, 20 or a hundred people, or you get a distribution team putting five hours in and, and all of a sudden, you, you know, you're aimed at within a year speaking to 250,000 people. So if the team has that as a goal, um, then you start to aim at that. But if, if people sort of have a goal of 5,000 or 2,000 or just as many as we can get, you know, you sort of act within the limitations of your goal setting. Mm. So I, I say aim high and, mm. and then do what is necessary. Mm. I think we may be coming to the, probably the end of this particular Wonderful. podcast. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you wanted to, to have anything as a, uh, maybe some counsel to people that are already doing again, sort of a, a heavy spiritual practice and working and a final thing to help balance that. Mm -hmm. It would be to have a sense of how much time you have for your spiritual practices and then back it off a bit. And so say if you have one hour of time to dedicate to your spiritual practices. Then if you could do 50 minutes and then leave those 10 minutes to actually experience and to really go in and enjoy, you know, the, the whole point of spiritual practice is that you can experience um, what your life is. Um, more and more. And so um, that is one thing. And also seek to remember how you feel when your stress is managed. And don't forget that or try to wake yourself up to that again. 
and then use that feeling of discontentment if you are feeling the stress to fuel your uh, investment in doing practices and again it doesn't have to be busy uh, sorry it doesn't have to be hard it, it can be very simple practices but the consistency is definitely the key if you did one hour and a half yoga session a week is that uh, less or more effective than say three half an hour practices i would say it's more effective to do the three half hour practices because you want to be in the process of digesting your experience more often for people out there who would like to communicate with you, uh, how can they get a hold of you in regards to either some coaching or the salmon uh, campaign? Mm-hmm. So it's Yogi Shambhu Official on Facebook. That's my professional page. My website is shambhu.co. That's C-O. And so that's my website and that has all my contact information as well as more about what I do and testimonials with clients. And then of course there's SOSBC on Facebook. That's our Facebook page and you can tap in there regarding um, uh, efforts with saving the wild salmon in British Columbia. Thank you so much. This has been Elijah Ignatieff of Planetary Guardians Media with Yogi Shambhu.